Hello everyone! Welcome to the very first episode of Controller Disconnected. I am your host, Matthias Carnebro, and if my cat doesn't try to kill me for the simple act of speaking in my own home, I think this will turn out alright. So, at the end of 2019, after defending my bachelor's thesis on video game cinematography, I decided to spend more time reconnecting with my old passion in video games, because it had been a while since I had played them last before. Um, I think it was Red Dead Redemption 2 and a good few months before December then. So I got a free trial for PlayStation Now and I downloaded the new God of War game. Well, new. It came out in 2018 and it's already 2020 right now when I'm recording. As well as Red Faction Guerrilla Remastered. Uh, but that's a story for another day. I'm gonna talk about that game as well. So I played God of War for almost a week straight until the trial was running out, and since I liked it so much, I bought it out. out I bought it outright because it was leaving the streaming service at the beginning of January, and I figured I would keep playing beyond that date. But also because I can't stream any games on PlayStation now, so it would be worthless to keep paying for the service. Uh, it's something to do with my location, probably. I'm in Brazil when the servers in the in the United States because my my account is American, so I can also access the PlayStation now there. And the connections probably don't work very well because of the distance, and probably the ping as well. Anyway, I bought the game because I wanted to keep playing and it turns out that I played a lot of it. So much so, that I got the Platinum Trophy. I found all the artifacts, I killed all of Odin's ravens, and did all the side quests and the favors, and of course I completed the main story in the game. But before saying anything about the gameplay, I want to talk about the characters because I think they stood out to me. Uh, I would argue even that they are the main stars of the game. Their stories carried the game forward better than the mechanics in my opinion. Um, I already had the story spoiled before playing the game, but it was only the main beats and reveals from the start and the middle and the very end. So I didn't know what happened in between those bits, and the whole thing is actually really enthralling. It didn't even matter the, the fact that I already knew most of it. So with that, I would like to begin this character analysis in the game God of War, released in 2018. I'll start with both our heroes and protagonists, uh, the Spartan warrior Kratos and his son Atreus. But some context is necessary before we begin. At the end of God of War 3, released all the way back in 2010, but taking place before this game chronologically, Kratos had killed all the gods of Olympus and left Greece in ruins. He stabbed himself with the Blade of Olympus instead of handing his powers to Athena to rebuild the place, but after the credits he disappears and his fate is left unknown. Until now, of course. It turns out he moved pretty heckin' far from Greece after he was done with it, and he is now living in the Nordic region. Norway, Scandinavia, whatever you want to call it. Um, we first see him in the title screen of the game, sporting a big lumberjack beard and about to jack some lumber. Right after that, we meet Atreus, but they're a bit sulky and quiet in the beginning and during the boat ride where they're taking back the, the tree that they just chopped, and we soon discover why. The matriarch in the family, whose name is Faye, is dead, and so they were chopping trees in order to cremate her body. So right from the get-go, we don't join these characters in the best of times, although I don't believe it would be very interesting if we played through the honeymoon, sunshine, and rainbows part of their lives. Even though they are still grieving, Kratos somehow finds it appropriate to get Atreus out of the house and taking him out to hunt. I'm not a parent, but so I'm not going to opine on his methods too much, but I can't see this being healthy in any family whatsoever, really. Kratos seems a bit distant from Atreus in the beginning, but he does seem to mean well, um, trying to teach him how to hunt and other such skills that will help him fend off for himself in the future when he grows up. 
He gets angry at Atreus a few times, but the boy does learn quickly with a few pushes. After setting off on their journey to the highest peak of the realms to spread Faye's ashes is when Atreus is forced to learn how to fight efficiently and be generally more aware of his surroundings. He gets into some trouble, but he is quick to learn from his mistakes here as well. As we progress through the game and learn more about the protagonists, we can draw some parallels between their personalities and even connect those aspects of their personalities to the different types of players of the game. Kratos is very focused on the task at hand and would rather not stray from the main path unless absolutely necessary, while Atreus is more prone to distraction and exploration, wanting to see more things around Midgard and the other realms instead of being laser focused on their objective. I think that this can be a reflection of players who usually only play the main quest in games, almost never doing other tasks unless it helps them advance in the story and get stronger weapons and armor and such. Um, and the players who enjoy doing those other tasks, collecting things and doing side quests, interacting with everything the game has to offer, as well as the completionists who try to do every single thing in the game. I fall in the second category. As, as I mentioned, I did, got the Platinum Trophy after doing most of the tasks and collecting everything available because that's just how I roll. I like trying to squeeze everything out of a game I really enjoy as long as I continue to enjoy it. I'm sure some of you will understand and sympathize with that feeling, but if you don't, then that's okay. We all play in our own way, and it's all about having fun in the end, so you do you. Coming back to the characters, the relationship between the protagonists begins to go through big changes after they visit the realm of Alfheim. At the end of their journey there, Kratos has to enter the light of Alfheim, which will charge the Bifrost and allow them to travel to other realms and get rid of the Black Breath on the mountain they're currently trying to climb in Midgard. As he is inside it, he's, it seems like only a few moments pass for him and the player, the sequence... Uh, lasts for maybe 5 minutes tops, but when he steps out we see Atreus very angry at being left alone for so long. Uh, there are dark elves corpses strewn all, all through the floor and it seems to be a good few hours have passed outside the light and Atreus had to fight very hard to survive. Uh, Kratos feels regretful at this point and explains himself to Atreus but he also continues to make up for it for the rest of the game. He starts to compliment Atreus' performance in battles more frequently, offering more advice and pointing out where he needs to improve and in turn bringing his son closer to him. Later on there's another twist that changes their dynamic a bit. Um, after fighting Modi and Magni, more on them later in this episode, Atreus falls sick with something he had previously and it's only referred to as a sickness uh, and Kratos is forced to find a cure for him. Part of that cure includes telling the truth of their nature as a god and the son of a god, something which Kratos would rather not do in order to try and lead his son into a better and more peaceful path in life. But keeping that secret was badly affecting Atreus, so his hand was forced in the situation. With this revelation, the boy starts getting some ideas about his divine powers, seeming innocent at first and trying to find out whether he can turn into an animal. At, uh, but becoming more malevolent and cocky as it goes on, trying to impose will that he doesn't really possess onto others. He becomes very angry and impolite in interactions and even hurts Sindri's feelings. Sindri is one of the elves who I will talk about as well later on. And during battles, he is very forward and careless in attacking enemies, which would be a bigger problem were he not unkillable in the game. So that kind of diminishes the consequences a little bit. It actually makes the gameplay a little easier for a short while because he, ne he nearly instantly kills some of the enemies during this period by jumping on them and choking them out with his bow or even stabbing them with his knife. So it had the opposite effect of making, making me want to calm down somewhat because it was actually helping me out during the battles. But then he opened his mouth and spoke like a little brat and it made me want to smack him in the back of the head all over again. So 
it balanced down in the end. This acting all high and mighty gets them into big trouble eventually, as they are attacked by Baldur, right as they're about to travel to the realm of Jotunheim at the top of the summit. Um, Atreus recklessly attacks Baldur, one thing leads to another, a dragon is killed, and the three of them end up in the realm of Helheim, past the Bridge of the Dead. Kratos is incensed at Atreus and talks him down big time, and the boy realizes how wrong he was acting, and he humbles down after that. As well as not being an annoying little brat anymore, he becomes more focused and skilled during battles, which is displayed most of all during the last boss battle against Baldur, where he makes use of very smart tactics with the World Serpent and fights with a lot of determination too. In the end, the bond between father and son is stronger than ever and they become very close to each other. It makes me all the more curious to see where they will go from here and what they will do and who they will fight next. Since a sequel was teased at the end of the game, I have no doubt that we'll eventually hear about it and I can honestly hardly wait until then. Well, I think that does it for the protagonists of the game and we'll take a quick break because I need some water and my cat needs some attention and we'll be right back. Hi, hello, I'm recording this ad on my phone because I forgot to do it earlier and it's also at night so I have to speak very low. This episode is sponsored by Anchor. It's the easiest and best way to make a podcast for free. There are creation tools to let you record and edit your podcast right on your phone or your computer in case you don't have any of that fancy software stuff. It'll also distribute your podcast for you so you can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, wherever you want. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, which means that even if one person listens to your podcast with ads, you already get paid. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, easy, and did I say it's free? Yeah, I'm using it right now to make this episode for you. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Alright, let's go back to the episode and I'm gonna record this better next time, I promise. Now that we've looked at the protagonists of the story, I think it's only fair that we also take a look at the antagonists as well. Um, they are just as complex as the main heroes and they have their own set of motivations and objectives driving them forward. I'll begin by talking about the brothers Modi and Magni, who are seeking Kratos and Atreus together with Baldur, but working more of a henchman role in comparison to him. They are the sons of Thor, so from the beginning they have that shadow to work from, and being that they are doing their uncle's bidding, it fuels their desire to prove themselves to their father and the other gods of the Aesir. Between the two of them, even though they may bicker a bit during cutscenes, there doesn't seem to be much of a rivalry actually, which makes them a greater force to be reckoned with when fighting them in-game as they work together as a team, attacking together or attacking Kratos and Atreus separately and isolating them, and invoking a blinding strike at certain points which isolates father and son in the middle of the arena while the brothers attack from different sides. You might know these words, oh the brother blinder, they pissed me off so much. At the end of this encounter though, Kratos manages to overpower Magni and deal the killing blow, which leaves Modi very distraught, but he escapes before anything can be done against him. Later on, when Kratos and Atreus are about to enter Tyr's vault, Modi returns to get his revenge. While immobilizing Kratos with his electric mace, he talks about earning that hammer, which I presume to be either Thor's hammer, Mjolnir, or the mace which he's currently holding, which doesn't really look like a hammer to me, but alright. After provoking Atreus and enraging Kratos, Modi gets overpowered and runs away once again. The final time we see him is when the heroes go back to the mountain to climb to the summit and go through the Jotunheim portal. He is broken and beaten and rejected by his father, who blames him for Magni's death. 
he is lost or been left behind by everything that meant something to him, but he still has a bit of finding him to provoke Atreus. And I suppose being in rough patches kind of brings out the gallows humor in all of us. This happens during the period where Atreus is drunk with godliness, so he kills Magni against Kratos' wishes pretty much because he can. And as I've detailed previously, it doesn't really end up very well afterwards. Moving on from the brothers, we have the big bad and his mother. Spoiler alert. Though the game is nearly two years old by now, and I think this is well known actually. Baldur shows up at the very beginning of the game, trying to fight Kratos and reveal at the end of the game to be going after Faye, not knowing that she was already dead and turned to ashes and stuffed in a sack. After putting up a very rough fight, he says that he can't feel anything, which we later find out is a result of a spell put on him by Freya, his mother, in the most extreme example of helicopter parenting I've ever seen, in order to protect him from the dangers of the world. Freya herself is a big mystery throughout most of the game. When the heroes first meet her, he is only referred to as the Witch in the Woods, and we only know that she's a hermit who cares for the forest and the creatures in it, and is also forbidden from leaving Midgard by the Aesir gods. She is the one who gets Kratos and Atreus to Alfheim in the first place so they can charge the Bifrost. She also cares a lot for Atreus, seeing that he is not yet as jaded as his father, and showing curiosity in her doings, and immediately tries to cure him when he falls with a sickness, directing Kratos to go to Helheim and get the Bridgekeeper's heart. Her character is deepened after meeting Mimir and reviving his head. We learn her real name, and who she was as the former spouse of Odin, who is the reason she is confined to Midgard. Further on, it is also revealed that she is Baldur's mother, and that it was her who cursed him to feel nothing and never die for his own good. Although it seems more like her own good for never having to feel the pain of seeing her child get hurt or even worse. It's really a selfish act this guy is trying to do something good for others. And during the last battle of the story, mother and son finally meet again, and he is still destined to kill her in revenge, something which Kratos is well familiarized with and tries to stop him from doing, but Baldur doesn't care and goes after Freya anyway. Kratos then fights Baldur to protect her, but she still tries to protect her son all the way to the end even though he wants to harm her. After Kratos finally kills him, she swears revenge on her son's killer, so we already have one antagonist set up for future games in this series, and... I'm very actually very curious to see what she's going to try to do since she can manipulate pretty much all of nature against against someone. To wrap up this character analysis, I'll take a quick look at the dwarves as well. Brock and Sindri, also known as the Huldra brothers, are part of the shop and crafting mechanics of the game, but they also get their own character arcs and have some personality to develop. Brock is a brutish craftsman, he likes getting his hands dirty so much so that he turned blue because of it, and is a no-nonsense kind of guy all around. While Sindri is kinder and more sympathetic, but also a bit wimpy in comparison. He tries to keep things clean, working with gloves and protection, and he is also a big germaphobe, becoming nauseated at the nearest sight of something he might consider unhygienic. The brothers used to work together until their differences drove them apart, but when Brock is crafting the key to Tyr's temple for Kratos, Sindri appears again to help his brother, and they realize they still work well together and decide to remain that way. The build-up to this moment is scattered a bit between conversations between them and the protagonists, with Atreus pushing them to make amends, but it's got a happy payoff nonetheless with the Master Crafters together again finally. And I believe that brings us to the end of this, the first episode of Controller Disconnected. Thank you very much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a good rating and review at Apple Podcasts and Podchaser. Subscribe to the show wherever you're listening right now and stay tuned for more. 
If you would like to support the show, you can follow the link on the episode notes, anchor.fm slash controller disconnected slash support, or you can share with other people for the free price of free. You can also follow me on Twitter at MattMattMaxMax, Matt with one T. And once again, I am Matthias Carnero. Thank you, and I will talk to you soon.